Hello, and welcome to Simple Pursuit, the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our prayer that you will grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that you will be blessed and challenged as you listen in. Grab your Bible, because here is today's teaching. Let's get down to it this morning. We've got a lot of blanks to fill in. Let's get going. Verse 4, 1 Peter chapter 2. To catch you up, this is where our life groups and D groups are in the annual uh, year-long reading of the New Testament. Um, so we'll be reading in the, uh, in the letters of Peter this week. Verse 4 says, As you come to him a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Man, listen to verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to you this morning, it is difficult at times to grow, to become like Christ. Yet by your grace and your mercy, we've everything we need to do so. We praise you, Father, for opening the curtain to us that we can come into your presence through Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for salvation. Lord, I pray that we would be reminded that once we we were not a people, but through Jesus we can be and are now the people of God. Lord, you see in this room the hearts that are gathered. You know this is a mixed bunch. Some have, some have not. Only you, Lord, know. So, Father, it is my prayer that you would help us to listen and hear you this morning. Father, that you would grant this vessel your grace, that I would not stumble over my words, but clearly speak what is written faithfully 2,000 years ago. For your glory and our good, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So catch you up in chapter 1, Peter greeted the church, God's chosen people. He reemphasizes that for us in chapter 2, and he calls them to praise God. This is a flyover like Super sonic speed, okay? Though the church was experiencing great pain and tribulation, he reminded them that through Jesus Christ, they had a new life. That these trials were meant to strengthen their faith in Christ, to expand their testimony of the church, to spread them out and to spread the gospel in doing so. And he says, don't let what's happening now deter you from pressing on. It's a very similar message to what Paul would write. Always remember the glorious future of the church 
with Christ in heaven. To end chapter one, he calls them to obedience and he calls them to love one another. As we look into chapter two, and Peter now describes how God is building Christians, how God is building the church. He's making you, building you into something grand and glorious. What I find so wonderful about Peter's letter to the struggling church is that there in this chapter, you find his blueprint for the church. So first this morning, we're gonna identify Jesus, and then we're gonna go on and to discuss how Jesus changes things, takes us from dead stones to living stones, and builds us into the church. First, let's identify Jesus. He is the living stone, first and foremost. As we identify him, Peter tells us in verse four, as you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. The rock and the stone imagery is common in scripture. I read for you in Psalm 34 this morning to open, and Paul, uh, excuse me, Peter. See, I've been in Paul so long, I'm gonna say Paul instead of Peter, but I mean Peter, okay? So just don't email me this week. <clears throat> what seminary did you go to? I mean, look at verse three. He says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, right? So he's referencing back to Psalm 34. If you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, verse three, then as you come to him, because once you know that the Lord is good and you trust in him, you're going to come to him. You should come to him. It should become natural to us that we come into his presence. So as you come to him, then he pauses for a moment, that thought. He picks it up again in verse five. But as you come to him, pause the living stone. That's who you're coming to. That's why we want to stop and identify this Jesus. Everything else of this passage that we read this morning goes back to verse three and then the intro to verse four. If you've tasted and seen that he is good, then as you come to him, so Peter's reminding the church, church, lay aside the former life, crave more of the pure spiritual milk so that as you grow, you grow into Christ-likeness. Crave here. It's that you, you remember, if you've had a little one, you remember when that child will not stop screaming for mama's milk. So insight into my life, when Carolyn was born, I was in my last semester of seminary. I, we decided Amber was still teaching. She needed to finish her contract. So I, would, I decided, by God's grace, and he provided night classes. So I went to night class while Amber taught, and we'd switch. And, and right about 3.30 every afternoon, y'all, I would not, Carolyn, she would start screaming. And I was instructed by my wife, do not feed that child, because I'm coming home. So I'd sit there. We had this in an apartment. We had one of those glass sliding doors, and I'd open that thing up. And I'd sit there, and I'd be looking out in that parking lot, rocking. She's coming. She's coming. I know she's coming. Come on, baby. Drive faster. She's coming. Come on. I can't take it anymore. Ah, oh, there she is. Ah, uh, here. <laughs> I got to go to class. That kind of intense, continuous desire is what Peter's referencing there, that spiritual growth. We desire more of God's word. That's where we turn to that word, that, to, to find that pure spiritual milk, and we hunger for it. So as we come into his presence, inviting us, Peter does, we come to Jesus. We come to Jesus first as the living stone. Think of some of the great stone statues in our culture in our world today. Over the years, they've been developed. Maybe some of our faith, uh, faithful church fathers from the past, but when I started thinking about that, I thought immediately of Michelangelo's David 
or Moses statues. There's Rio de Janeiro's Christ the Redeemer looking over the city, standing there. But those are rocks. Those are images, really, which we're technically not supposed to do. If you read in the Big Ten, those are rocks. Maybe you've traveled to another country where you've seen images of their temples. I've been to China. I've seen the golden Buddhas everywhere. You've no doubt seen pictures of them at least. Some of the ancient cultures. We can read in scripture and know that the very own Israelites developed the golden calf in the book of Exodus. They're all faces or images captured in stone. But friends, there's no life there. There's no life whatsoever. Yet here... Jesus is described as the living stone. And for Peter and the other apostles, this Jesus, the living stone, was truly life-changing good news. Just look at John chapter 20. Turn over to the Gospel of John chapter 20. Keep your finger there in 1 Peter, but go, go over there for a moment. And let me just remind you what's happening here. This is after the first sighting of the resurrection day, morning, and then that evening, the disciples are up, they're behind locked doors because they're afraid of the Jews, they're trembling, they're scared, and then Jesus, in verse 19, came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. So in their fear, in their trembling, in their behind locked doors, Jesus appears And his first words were, peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. That's when Peter began to understand or knew, again, reinforced, because he'd already seen him once, but reinforced that Jesus was the living stone. This guy is absolutely different. We see the disciples who's writing this letter to the church, having denied knowing Jesus, this Peter did, having sunk in the water, having chopped the guy's ear off. I mean, here is Peter. Now he's writing this letter on that evening with doors locked, seeing Jesus again. Fast forward a couple of weeks after John chapter 20 and Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, the disciples in the church have been praying The Holy Spirit comes, they go out, and they start preaching, and Peter's sermon is captured, and in Acts chapter 2, verse 24, the one who denied knowing Jesus is now proclaiming Jesus. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. To these very same Jews, in Acts chapter 3, verse 15, Peter writes, you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this, we are witnesses. Verse 16, and his name by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see. They just healed a man. The faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. So here is Jesus, here's Peter proclaiming Jesus, having denied knowing him, having been behind locked doors. Now Peter writes to the church, this is the living stone. As you come to him, remember, he is the living stone. Peter had firsthand knowledge of that. That first identifying marker of Jesus to Peter is that he is the living stone. He is living because he is resurrected from the dead, for which Peter was absolutely an eyewitness. Look at chapter 1 of this very letter, 1 Peter chapter 1. Look at verse 3. His, after his introduction, his first 
statement that he makes in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If your hope is in a dead statue, a dead stone, there is no hope. It's a dead hope. But here, Peter says he is the living stone, and because he is the living stone, we have been born again to a living hope because Christ has been raised from the dead. How can a lifeless stone image give a true and lasting living hope? It can't, but because Jesus is alive, that is where our living hope comes. And here's the next step. He's not only the living stone, he is also chosen by God and precious to God. Look again at verse four. He is the living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Rejected by men, yet chosen and precious. Verse 20 of 1 Peter chapter one, Peter wrote, he was Speaking of Christ, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. This should help us to understand the eternal nature of who Jesus is. He was, he is, and he will always be. There are some cults out there that will call themselves Christian, and they're not because they get this part wrong. Well, that's one reason why they're not. But they would say that Jesus was created. Jesus has a brother named Lucifer, right? Totally, totally off the rocker on that one. He has always been, he is now, and he will always be. John in the Revelation wrote that he is the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He was foreknown before the foundation. God had his plan before he ever sent his son. He had it planned that he would send him in eternity, the Father predetermined the son would be the one, that his son would be the redeemer. In our timeline, after the fall, because God is over our timeline, right? He's not bound to our time. He's outside of our time. But in our timeline, after the fall, Genesis chapter 3, the Lord told his creation there that there would be a redeemer, that he would come as the snake-crushing redeemer who would pay and set things right for the sin that broke everything. Jesus is the chosen one of God, yet we rejected him. Rejected by men, Peter wrote. Do you think anything would be different today? In a couple of months, it's hard to believe, but in a couple of months, the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade will be on Thanksgiving Day morning. Do you think if Jesus was riding in the back of that parade rather than old St. Nick, you think he would be cheered and woohooed? I doubt it. He'd be jeered and booed because he's rejected by men. Still today, men and women reject him. But what I love is that the fact that he was rejected by man did not alter his standing with the Father. The Father loves his Son. And to the Father, his Son is still precious and chosen. You parents know what I'm talking about the first time you hold that little one in your arms. One of the favorite pictures of my dad was we've had a couple of opportunities when he first held our, our babies for the first time. The, la- the one that really sticks out in my mind was when he held Ben for the first time. I've got a picture of that one. I don't know where all the other, but I have that picture, and he's crying. He just looked at him. He's just crying. How precious that, that moment is. This is what the Lord, you don't, do you remember what the father said? 
when Jesus was baptized? You remember what he said from heaven? This is my son with whom I am well pleased. That's my boy. And I'm happy with him. God placed infinite value upon Jesus. Precious describes the costly redemption that would come through Christ. Look at, again, chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. He's knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with what? The precious blood of Christ. The precious blood of Christ. He is a living stone. He is God's chosen and precious one. We also see that he is, in verse 6, the cornerstone. He is chosen and precious, a chosen and precious cornerstone. You guys that are builders and carpenters and handy like that, you know more about this stuff than I ever do. For when I build something, it's crooked. And I got pieces of wood where there shouldn't be pieces of wood just to make sure that it's going to stand up. But here, Jesus is the cornerstone. You know how important it is to have that foundational stone set. Whether it's a home or a skyscraper, that first corner must be set. It must be square. That foundation must be right. It must be set absolutely correct. If it's not, if it's not in line, everything else from that first piece would fall apart. It would not stand when the storm came. But everything else takes its line from that very first stone. That's a reference to Jesus, especially in the days of Peter. That cornerstone was set first. It is the foundational stone upon which everything else will grow. If it's cracked, if it's off-centered, if it's damaged, the building will crumble. But yet here we have Jesus, the precious, chosen, living cornerstone, rejected officially by Israel. That's a key, but the foundational element of what God is building, which is the church. He is the foundation stone, precious in every way, cornerstone, the church of Jesus Christ. And as we read Peter, I'm reminded of when Peter would confess Jesus as Christ, son of the living God. When Jesus turned to him and said, Peter, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter made that confession. You are the Christ, son of the living God. And Jesus' words to Peter are captured in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. He says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now that can be a, a bit of a debatable verse as to who the rock is. I, for one, take the rock as the confession that Peter made. But even if it is Peter, in a sense, it is in the sense that Peter preached at Pentecost. He preached the gospel for the very first time in public without Christ being present physically. He was the one with the other disciples that also were proclaiming the gospel message. What Peter's saying here is that the church is founded on the foundational cornerstone of Jesus Christ. He did not preach Peter. He preached Jesus Christ. Therefore, Christ is still the cornerstone. He's still the living stone. There's also one extra one here I want to share with you. In verse 8, Peter says, he is the stone of stumbling. He is the stumbling stone. He's a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. When the claims of Jesus came front and center to the people of Jerusalem that very first time, and every time since then, 
it is either going to be received and trusted in or it is going to be rejected. But when the claims from Jesus of the gospel come front and center today to a man or woman, they will never be the same again. For they will either believe and accept and trust Jesus, therefore receiving new life and becoming a living stone themselves, or they will reject Jesus and then stumble over him, the rock of offense. That man or woman will either become a precious living stone, which craves the milk of like a newborn baby, and then they would join the the church of being built up, or they'll stumble over the truth. If you reject him, you stumble over Christ, the stone. You stumble over Christ because you refuse to believe him and obey him. He is the one. By his own words, he is the one. In Luke chapter 20, Jesus taught a parable. In Luke chapter 20, verse 18, this is the end of the parable. He says, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. That stone, he's talking about himself. Think of it this way. If a stone falls on a pot, woe to the pot. If a pot falls on a stone, woe to the pot. In either case, woe to the pot. When you hear the gospel, it also demands a response. It demands a response, and we get that from the stone of stumbling and the rock of offense. We have to respond to Jesus. What kind of reaction will the church have? What kind of reaction will you have? Because there has to be a reaction. Friends, the first reaction I want you to see in what he wants is verse 4. As you come to him, he invites you to come to him. It's a simple little phrase here, but there's so much involved in this one little statement. This echoes Jesus' own statement in Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. That's not meaning a good Sunday afternoon nap. Rest from pursuing salvation. Rest from trying to be good enough. Rest from trying to do all the things, just resting in the salvation that Christ provides. It is a simple yet profound invitation from the divine Son of God. As you come to him, from the living stone, as you come to him, from the Son of God, he says, come to me. Draw near to me. Peter echoes, as you struggle in this life to live that obedient life, as you come to him, just the fact that in Christ Jesus you are now able to approach the throne of grace, that you are able to approach God on his terms through Christ, that there you are able to make your petitions known and offer up your prayer to him. You don't need the priest to do it for you. You don't need me to do it for you. You don't need our deacons to do it for you. Now, it is nice to have someone praying for you. Absolutely. Praying with you. Absolutely. But you don't need me. God hears your prayer, Christian, just as much as he hears my prayer. So pray. Draw unto him. Listen to his invitation as you come to him. It's an invitation. He assumes you are coming to him as you come to him, as you draw near to him. There's three ways, at least three, that we could do that. One is worship. When we do it corporately, and when we worship when we're on our own, maybe it's driving down the road, you got the radio playing, and whatever song comes on, and it 
just taps you into the presence of God. Sometimes maybe it's listening to a sermon, but worship, the second would be prayer. When we come into his presence, we pray when we draw near to him, seeking him in a time of prayer. And then any time we open the word of God, we come into his presence to hear from him directly. Friend, the precious cornerstone offers you this special invitation today. Come to me. And as he's calling out, come to me. If you're burdened, you're carrying the weight, the trauma, the consequences of your sin, come to him for he is the one that died and was raised again to free you from that sin. As you come to him, there's a couple of key truths here in verses six and seven. The attention here is that as we draw near to him, as we come to him, verse six is to stay. We stay when he says in verse six, for it stands in scripture, I'm laying a stone, a Zion, in Zion, a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. There's an intention there for us to stay with Christ. We don't just come and then leave, but we come and stay, right? There's that, that intention to stay is, is also seen in that we're, we too are being built up into the church, into precious living stones, that we come to him and we trust in him. And as we come to him, we believe in him. It means that we put all of our trust in Christ Jesus. It's not that he, a trust or a belief that he simply existed or lived, but that all of your eternal future rests on him. Coming to Jesus, coming to trust him, coming to believe on him and in him. We don't add anything to Jesus. He's taking complete control He's taking the place of something else. We don't believe Jesus plus something else like my good reputation or my good works, but only that we trust in Jesus when we come to him. Believe and trust in him just as I am, that old song saying at Billy Graham's Crusades. Without one plea. But we also see that not all will believe in verse four. A living stone that was rejected by men. Some will believe and trust him. Others will reject him. That is the reaction. As you believe and trust him, he is building you a living stone into a spiritual house. Friend, there are no lone rangers in the kingdom of God. There are no lone rangers in the church. Corporate worship, the corporate body of Christ. We're not perfect. but Because he's working on each one of us. But it's difficult to be the church by yourself in a corporate setting by yourself. I suppose you could worship with me, myself, and I, but that's a little odd. We are together. We are family. Every church that's meeting in town this morning, even right now, we are still one church. We may be meeting in separate locations, but we belong in one body with one head, that is Christ. There are no lone rangers in the building with Christ as a cornerstone. Corporate worship, partnership in the gospel of the local church is vitally important. Somewhere along the way, people have come up with the thought that the local church is not important and trivial, but not when you read scripture. So that's the reaction. Some will believe and trust him and become living stones uh, being built up into the church on the cornerstone, and the rest are going to reject him. That's the other reaction. Some will respond by rejecting that's a sad and quite depressing place to be when someone rejects Jesus. When someone walks away from the gospel, it's hard to stomach. 
For one, when you trust in Jesus, you're destined for eternal life. But when you reject Jesus, you're destined for eternity in hell. And that's what will happen if you continue to reject him. There are divine and eternal consequences to belief and rejection. So today, if you hear his voice and he's calling you, don't harden your heart and turn away, but come to Jesus because he's inviting you as you come to him. He said, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, in a favorable time I listened to you and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now, Paul wrote, is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Third thing I'd point out to you this morning is that we are transformed by Jesus. We are transformed by Jesus as we come into the church. Here's the last couple of verses to help us remember this. Why do you go to church? Well, because we are the church. It's where we belong. We belong together. We're here to help one another. You have gifts that I don't have. I have gifts that you don't have. We go together like Lego pieces. He fits us together into a beautiful picture, a beautiful thing called the church of Christ. But you may say, well, I go to church because it's tradition. I got drugged to church. You bring your children today because you think that we'll help you raise them right. We'll do our best. But it's not all on the church. Maybe you came looking for a weekly pep talk to help you get through the work week. A little pop psychology for your soul. There's books written on that kind of stuff. I wouldn't read them. Maybe you can come for community and friendship. Those are important. Absolutely. We are the community of God. But that's not the only reason. Maybe you think you'll be a better person today for attending or because you like teaching or preaching. I haven't really heard too many of that. But it does boil down all to consumerism. What can the church do for me? I don't find that written in 1 Peter chapter 2. If the church is another view of, uh, in your view, is another part of the schedule, then you've got a low view of the church. You've got a small view of the church. And Peter sets the truth for us here. He sets it for us. He has not given you the church to fit your plans or my plans or our priorities. He has given you the church to serve his plan, his priorities, and that is to see that every man and woman comes to Christ. And so we see a couple of things of what Christ is doing. We've identified Christ. There's the reaction to Christ. And now we see that in Christ we are built up. One, he puts us together. Look at verse five. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Not the four walls that you see around you, right? Spiritual house. That when we leave this place, the church leaves the building. When the church goes to H-E-B today or the church goes to your favorite restaurant, the church is there. When you go home and have lunch, the church is there. When you take your rest this afternoon, the church is resting. When you go out to work tomorrow, if you have to work on Labor Day, then you're going to work. The church is going to work. Wherever you go, the church is going. But he puts us together because we are living stones being built up as a spiritual house. We are individuals. But we are not freelance Christians. When we come to Christ, we are a part of the church. And he is building us together as living stones. This is a whole nother sermon. 
But every, every single one of you, every man, every woman, every boy and girl that is in Christ, you are a brick. You are a living brick. Second, he puts us together, fashions us into the church. Second, he sets us in place. He will make you into something. He says there uh, later down in verses 9 and 10 that you are a holy priesthood. Well, I thought I was, you were thinking I was the priest or however vernacular you would put that. No, we all are. We are a holy priesthood in Christ. There, in the Old Testament, there were only a few people who could fill that role of the tribe of Levi, the Levite. That, that's all who could do it. Or the high priest. There, there were not very many of them around. And the priest was the only one, the high priest was the only one who could approach God in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle of the temple on that day of atonement. But then Jesus came along and changes all of that. That veil was torn in two. It is now open and we all can come to him. And in Christ, we are a kingdom of priests. You pray, great. You can pray and spend time with the Lord, yes. Why? Because you are in the holy priesthood. We don't need the high priest. You don't need the pastor to even intercede. Now I will because it's part of what my calling is. Our deacons will intercede for you, of course, because we are the church. But you don't need us to do that. You can approach the throne of grace with confidence because Jesus Christ is the living stone and he has called you and you are now part of this holy priesthood. You can open your own Bible, read it, pray and ask God for discernment and wisdom and understanding. The Holy Spirit will speak through you because he indwells you because you are a believer in Christ. In Christ, you've been purchased at the cross by the precious blood of Jesus. You have immediate and direct access to God through Jesus Christ. Third, he puts us to work. He puts us to work. We are called to offer spiritual sacrifices. What are those? Well, quickly, one is our work. I told you, when you go to work on tomorrow or on Tuesday, the church is going to work. Your work is a spiritual sacrifice. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. That is offering a spiritual sacrifice. The Old Testament speaks of sacrifices of prayer, of thanksgiving, of praise and repentance. The New Testament takes it a step further when Paul wrote, offer your bodies, our life as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto the Lord. He puts us to work. We don't offer those spiritual sacrifices on Sunday morning only, 24-7. Fourth, he gives us a new identity. Look at verses 9 and 10. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. There's a whole list there we could break down into a sermon for each one, but we won't do that right now. But look at verse 10. Once, I love verse 10. Once at one time you were not a people. You were not a people when you didn't believe in Jesus. You were not a people when you continued to reject him. But when you came to faith in him, now you are God's people. You never knew mercy, you never understood mercy, you never received mercy, but now, through Christ Jesus, you have received mercy. And he says in verse 9, a chosen people, God's loving initiative to bring people to himself and then to set you in place as his church, his body, the royal priesthood. We serve royalty, people. 
the King of kings, the Lord of lords. We serve him and we serve in his kingdom, a holy nation that God has set apart the church around the world for his use. And each member of the whole has a contribution to make. And then finally, verse 9-10, he sends us out to witness. He sends us to witness. He called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You're not a people, but now you are. You've not received, but now you have received. We are to go out and proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. He sends us out to witness. He sends us out to proclaim. That's part of our work. It's not the only part of our work that... We do, but it is part of our work. We go out and proclaim his excellencies who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Declare means that we advertise. It means that we proclaim and tell people with our mouth, with our words, the gospel. Once we were not, but now we are. Once we knew not his mercy, oh, but now I know it personally. Let me tell you about it. Friend, you've got a decision to make this morning. You're either gonna trust Jesus or you're tripping over Jesus. What's it going to be? You're either trusting Jesus or you're tripping over Jesus. There's no abstaining from this decision. Thank you for listening today. For more information regarding Coastal Oaks Church, like service times, or what to expect upon your visit, go to our website at coastaloakschurch.org. May God bless you in the journey and the simple pursuit of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord.